It's a wintry day. The air in the park is like glass. To the southeast, there are fragments of clouds, scattered but gathering strength. Every now and then, the walkers, cyclists and pram-pushing mothers cast an inquiring glance skyward. And the kids are all excited by the feeling of the cool, clean air. And it does feel pretty good. So why don't you step off the busy road for a moment and come through the wrought iron gate into Sydney's Centennial Park with me, Gretchen Miller, for Street Stories on ABC Radio National. Oh, it's like a breath of fresh air, literally. Um, you know, the, the, the trees, the shrubs and the grasslands and everything. And it's just so vast. People don't realise how... Uh, what a vast area this is. The stress seems to roll off you. You, you can feel, you know, you hear the birds singing. It's what, it's what Mother Nature's all about, I guess. Um, and, and we miss that. We just get too caught up in the, in the stresses of living and stuff like that. And um, I guess it's just a part of the society we live under. But um, I know when I, when I come in here, you know, I, I try and leave my troubles. You know, we all got our situations we've got to handle, but I try and leave those away. And um, it's just amazing how I feel afterwards. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've been down here at, at sunrise and sundown and there's a, there's a really nice, uh, nice glow about this place, you know. Reminds me when I was a kid when I used to play in the, in the fields and, you know, climb the trees and all sorts of stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lovely feeling. It feels like a world of its own. It's just complete uh, relaxation. The park's got so much depth and feel about it that it's just, as you drive round and particularly under that... Uh, Camity of trees, it's just a, a very, very relaxing feeling. It, it's just something of yesteryears that has got that richness about it sort of thing, you know. It's very, very majestic and I like all old things. I love antiques, I love uh, anything that's got depth in it and I, I just find a lot of uh, beauty in Centennial Park itself. We're living in the middle of the city. It's in the eastern suburbs. It's 5k from the centre of the city. Like this is high, high levels of living. Lots of people. Once you walk into the park, it's quiet. It's peaceful. There's places in the park you could be anywhere. You could be up the coast. You could be interstate. Like you can come in and you can go to the middle of the park or on, on busy cycleway, and there's huge amounts of people. But you really don't have to walk that far and it can be really, really quiet. And I think it's the sheer feeling of space. Like, we have over five million visits a year, so it can be quite busy. But, I mean, like, look where we're sitting here now. I come here at least twice a week on my own and at least, at least once a week, every week, for work. How does it feel when you step through the gates? Um, sometimes I feel a bit sad about it because... You know, it's not how it was. And when I see lots of foreign trees around and because of what has happened and what it's been used for, you know, things like, you know, the signing of Federation happened here, which is great for a country, but the things that followed on for the Indigenous community wasn't so great. So I, I get sad, but most of the time I'm really happy that they've actually allowed places like this to exist. I mean, they could have been worse. They could have stuck houses right across you know, the acreage they have here instead of a park. Mm. I'd rather see the park. <laughs> Every night a body should relax After all the wear and tear Get that oxygen your body lacks 
get it in the open air. A feeling of calm and you just smell that freshness of the trees just in the first 50 feet and then of course you get the reverse effect when you go out of the park and you've been smelling all this lovely clean air and then the traffic of Oxford Street hits you and ooh, the fumes of the cars and yeah, very strong. Over the years we've uh, learned to look where the rain's coming from. If it comes from the north we know it's not going to make the park not going to get across the harbour to us. But if it comes from the southwest, we're going to be drenched. If it comes from the southeast, it's like that is now sh coming showers and you can sort of hide and that. But if it comes from the southwest, you go home. It's an extension of our backyard, it's our playground. It's a very relaxing field. You don't need to take things like antidepressants or Valium if you can come in the park for an hour. No matter how angry you are in business during the day, if you can come in here for an hour after you've finished, you go home a different person. The yes, park yes. is our favourite spot. My name's Kate Lowe. I live in Zetland. I come to the park all the time, really, to walk my dog, T, who's just over there a little Jack Russell Terrier. We've been coming here for eight years, about six days a week. I've got a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old now, and so we use the park in different ways. Of course, we go to the, the swings a bit more, and we go to the middle, and we sort of hang and have picnics. I'm George. How often do you come to the park, George? Not. <laughs> Just because they have playgroups in them. Yeah? Do you have friends in the park? Yeah, sometimes they come with me. How old are you, George? Four. <laughs> that whole romantic view of parklands, you know, sort of beyond capability brown and others of these parklands that were of trees not, and that didn't really have gardens as such and, and landscapes that are emulating some idealised country, Arcadian scene. And it's incredibly pleasing. It's just an incredibly, yeah, beautiful sort of a feel. In the last few years, they've been tarting it up a bit, you know. There's been a bit, quite a lot of work done on the stormwater and a lot more plantings, and I know why they're doing it, and I guess I'm glad they're doing it, but it sort of, I quite liked it when it was a bit weedier and a bit scrappier. This freedom, we sometimes find it here, fragile, in a wild land we did not understand full of nations of a kind before we came and more to come. Still, we grow to love, must learn to forgive ourselves, making stranger into friend. Our steps much lighter now and more gentle on the ground. Adam Aitken. There's a lot of people in this park but it stretches for 360-odd hectares, so that's OK. Most of them are locals, but there are also tourists and people who come regularly from different parts of Sydney. There are family picnickers and strolling mothers, and on the circular Grand Drive, the pace picks up for joggers, eye-rolling horses, rollerbladers, meandering bike riders, and then the elite athletes. Of these, the most prevalent are the cyclists who ride in groups in body-hugging lycra and Terminator sunglasses. They can be intimidating as they yell, left, 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 on their way past. 
but they're also impressive, performing balletic feats of avoidance of kids on trikes, dreaming bladers and reckless walkers. Down at the cafe, I'm talking to a regular in the park, a one-time King's Cross bouncer and weightlifter, who, after a terrible road accident, is now Australian hand-cycling champion. My name's Todd Philpott. I'm uh, from Bronte, and uh, I'm an Australian amputee athlete and uh, representing Australia with my good friend John McLean in Prague in uh, September for the European and World titles. And if we get a good ranking there, which we will, that's onwards and upwards to Athens. I actually purposely moved um, to be close to the Centennial Park and the parklands about a year and a half ago because I needed to um, put a lot of effort into the training in order to, uh, to get up uh, towards world ranking. So, um, yeah, I actually moved from Randwick to Bronte, a couple of blocks away, and I use these facilities oh, minimum four to six times a week. And uh, it's uh, very, very important for me to come down here. I'm not sure if you actually said what your machine is called. It's a hand cycle. It's a bit like wheelchair racing, but um, you have gears and you've got a, an upright uh, backrest. And instead of using your legs, you use your arms like in a winch fashion and uh, like a double, double push with both arms together. And uh, it's, it was ratified as a Paralympic sport last November. This type of park, uh, the way it's laid out with its ups and downs is a very, very good um, park as far as cross training goes. And you've also got some hill climbs that I need to, uh, to practice on. So some days you can do sprints, some days you can coast for 30, 40 kilometers or go up to 60 or whatever, whatever your program suits. I'm Joe Powell. And I'm Jan Powell. And how long have you been walking in the park? Since 1979. And what brought you to the park? Uh, exercising. <laughs> um, Joe is a uh, marathon runner and he was uh, uh, using it to train. So at those times it was much quieter. Oh, no one. There was no one in the park in 79. We live in Paddington. We basically lived all the way around the park since we came back from Europe. How often do you come to the park? We try to come seven days a week. And what do you do when you come here? Nowadays we walk, but over the years we've both been running and then the cycling and now walking. You actually walk quite large distances, don't you? Yes, six times around the park. It's 3.7 kilometres per trip. That's a lot of walking. How many hours is that? Uh, it ranges between three and a half and four hours a day. Do you always take the same route? We tried going in reverse mm. and uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> Jan doesn't mind reverse, but there seems to be something out of kilter walking in the opposite direction I'm used to for the last 20-something years. My name is Jenny Floyd and I live in Willoughby and I travel to Centennial Park a couple of times a week to come and walk. Why do you come all this way? There are very few places that have a really nice atmosphere where you can go for a nice long walk with a baby in a pram. Another thing that I really like about Centennial Park is that you can't just decide like halfway through your walk I've had enough you have to either backtrack or do the whole loop around the park to get back to your car for slack people like me like if I was on a treadmill in a gym I would think after 15 minutes I will I might just give it up 
at Centennial Park you can't because you're so far away from your car and by the time that you get back to your car you've kind of built up a bit of a, a momentum and a steam so you go and do another loop again. Hi, my name is Deborah Lennis and I'm one of the Aboriginal Education Officers here at Centennial Park. I'm an actual local Durrawal woman. I come from the La Perouse area. How long have you been using the park? I've used the park ever since I was little. I've always grown up mostly around this area, but I've been here as a tour guide for about three and a half years now. Mm. So where are we? We're um, looking around the Gurrawal Bush Tucker Trail at the moment, which is a tra trail that was put in a couple of years ago by the local Indigenous community. Can you tell me who the local community is? Um, from around here, there's two, the Eora and Durrawal people of Sydney, and it was through their cooperation that we put this Bush Tucker Trail through. The tree stumps through here are the ones that I've painted. They give you both the Indigenous plant name and the, and the common plant name and also at least one common spider or an animal in there, hopefully with the common name and the Indigenous name if possible or if it's known. Let's have a look at this one. This one here is the opossum in the paperback tree <laughs> and um, the gurura, the Aboriginal word for possum and then the kundurundurun which is the paperback or budja is the other word for paperback. Tell me about the community of Centennial Park, what that's like. That is exactly what it is, it's a community. It's amazing how if you're not here for one or two days, people want to know why you weren't here, what were you doing, and if we ran into someone the other afternoon, they said, have you gone to Noosa again for holidays? We haven't seen you for a week or so. And if we perhaps go in different directions, like sometimes one of us might be doing something, say, oh, well, we'll meet you in the park, and we walk in opposite directions and we bump into one another. They say, oh, have you two had an argument, or what's wrong? Something's... <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> Why are you walking that direction? <laughs> There's a certain level of anonymity that I get in Centennial Park. I don't really know anybody that's here. People are usually doing their own thing. So I can come here and just be anonymous. I come here to exercise and to, I suppose, connect with the trees. There's some beautiful trees and it's a really natural place. There's lots of wildlife and birds and things. So when I come here, I can feel... I've walked the ground many, many times, so I know it really intimately. I know lots of people who come here all the time. I see them all the time, and they must see me. Um, we don't have to exchange hellos or any or anything. But yeah, I feel like it's um, it's it's my backyard and it's it's my place. I've traditionally been one of the dog walking code. We generally pick up our poo. We generally don't really talk to each other, it's, we nod. And it's a recognition that people are doing the solitary, the solitary thing. So you're not, you know, there's people who I've nodded to for seven years and never spoken a word to, but I know them and I miss them when they're not here. And in other parts of the park, I mean, certainly, you know, once you get to things like the play areas where I've hung out much more recently, it's much more that thing of, I mean, people look out for each other's kids, you know, you pick up another kid if they're crying or, yeah, so I guess the code is really different in different places. Another day, 
yeah, as far as the territorial bill goes, um, <laughs> I guess it's a bit like where a dog sniffs out the tree and gives it a bit of a whittle on it, but uh, no, I, I, I don't actually do that, but uh, especially when you're in cycling, I found that uh, when I first started, um, I wasn't going very fast, and uh, a lot of cyclists were saying, oh, go Todd, you're doing fantastic, but but actually now where I'm, I'm, I've got the ability to actually even overtake some of the uh, elite cyclists, I've I got some real high speed happening they, uh, they don't like that. <laughs> so I guess there's a bit of a territorial deal there, you know, and, and I've heard suggestions where guys have gone past me saying, you know, you know, get a real bike, I have a hand cycle, and I, oh, it's, all, it's all a bit of tongue and cheek, we all have a dig at each other, and I, I tell them why I can beat them with this one, where I'm using my arms instead of their legs, you know, and I can still beat them, so I guess that's a compliment in disguise. You're listening to Street Stories on ABC Radio National and today we're in Centennial Park, Sydney. From the walking track through the trees of Grand Drive, an echo of the past can be seen. Fine-boned horses, their breath misting the air, throw their heads up and canter along the dirt track as they have done since the horse and buggy days. Why you hate? Eh? They say they can't talk, but they can talk. My name's John Leckie. I started at Centennial Park on the uh, 21st of March 1974 and I was there until um, I think the 3rd of July, year 2000. So I think it was roughly 26, 27 years. As a park ranger? As a, a mounted park ranger, yes. Mm. And the whole idea was that I knew that one day I would retire and you had to have something to do when you retire or otherwise you just grow big and fat. So I had founded this while I was while I was a park ranger and talked to the RAS and talked them into starting to board horses here. What sort of people have horses in the park? You get people that ingest joy casual riding, you get people that are our exhibitors, that people that compete in um, eventing and this type of thing that use the park to condition horses and to get them fit. But really if the horse is looked after by someone else and by the time they pay the stabling fee, there's not really too much uh, money left out of, say, 200 a week. It seemed to my friend that the creation of a landscape garden offered to the proper muse the most magnificent of opportunities. Here, indeed, was the fairest field for the display of the imagination in the endless combining of forms of novel beauty. Edgar Allan Poe. Aside from the horses, another living link to the past are the trees. Great avenues of figs and carry pines, groves of paper bark and elegant eucalypts. Regular visitors judge the health of the park by the state of the trees. They fret during the drought and worry about fallen giants. My name's Ted Hoare. I'm the senior arborist here at Centennial Park. I've been here for about 18 years. I've got the best job in the world, I think. My job entails looking after the, all the trees across the parklands. You've been coming here for a long time, you know, even before you started working here. What's your relationship, if you like, to the trees you work with? Oh, yeah, I can vaguely remember coming in here when I was about 12. I can remember wandering around up at where all the pine forest is in the late 60s, rather starry-eyed. I suppose I know them intimately. I used to enjoy them just generally coming in here before I knew anything about trees. 
But with being here for so long and, and actually working on the trees and seeing them age, seeing them in different light, like we start very early in the morning. Now, coming here early in the morning, summer, it's all bright, whatever. In the middle of the winter, when we're coming to work, the sun's just coming up. So the whole character of the light on the trees is completely different. So day to day, season to season, it's different. It's really, really good. This looks like an old tree just over there. What is that one? The one you're pointing at is the paper bark, Melaleuca quinquinervia, and it's one of the most prominent trees in the park. It was introduced by a guy called Maiden, who was in charge of the Royal Botanic Gardens back last century. But if you have a look, and obviously your listeners can't see this, we're sitting in the middle of Frog Hollow. The trees in front of it are swamp mahoganies. They're about eight years old, and the tree to the left of that is one of the original plantings that was planted in 1898. And all the little trees, the 20-foot trees you can see, I collected the seed off that original one and we've grown them on, which are now eight years old and they'll probably live for another 90 years. If you have a look in Federation Valley where the monument is, uh, there's words written on it and the words basically have uh, Millennium, Mammon and Eden. They're actually words out of a poem by a guy called O'Dowd and he wrote this poem 1901 or something when the Federation was on, relating to what this new country, Australia, or this Federation could become. And the idea was it could be manum, like greed, lust, money, all that sort of stuff, or it could be Eden. Well, I think that if he came back here now, the Eden is in the park, the mammon's outside the fence. So it's like coming into Eden. The Grand Drive circuit gives close to four kilometres of separate cycle, walking and horse tracks, all travelling clockwise. The ever-present cars hulk along beside. Visitors flock to the park on the four car-free days a year to enjoy absolute peace and quiet. But there's a bit of a bun fight for parking in surrounding streets. A number of roads loop around and through the green spaces, and on the weekends there are traffic jams at some intersections. There is no escaping the hum of engines. But there are as many views on how the problem should be managed as there are visitors. Coming here around about peak hour where the cars are lined across and we're flying down the back straight there and before they turn off they're supposed to have a gap to allow the cyclists to go through but they just they block that so it gets a bit dangerous at times. Would you like to see the, the park a little more car free? I don't know maybe they should have uh, more car free days or something. Well I think you've got to realise the park's for everyone so you can't um be too hard on the traffic but I think the park itself could try to eliminate some of the traffic. Uh, I've always said I think that eight gateways into the park are far too many. You're making it far too easy for, for people to use the park as a, uh, uh, a shortcut and uh, if they reduce the gate entries into the park you would only get the real conscious park people that would probably put themselves out to coming in. The weekends, it really is quite chaotic. In fact, last weekend and the weekend before, they closed the gates because there wasn't a parking space in the park and they were queued up trying to, you know, just get one. And double parking, and then that, of course, everybody starts to get, you know, angry, angry and frustrated. They can't join their friends and it goes on and on. The part of the city that I live in, Zetlands, is an old industrial area and there isn't much space. 
and I know that this is an incredibly heavily used park but it, it still feels like a, a little wilderness really mm. you know, very remote from and you can hear the cars but somehow they become like waves really and, and this sort of you know, like that sort of crashing sound rather than being a direct sound Nature is what she is, amoral and persistent. Stephen Jay Gould. Despite the ease that daylight visitors feel, and for all the lovely stands of trees and sweeping grassy vistas, you can't help thinking that all parks have their dark side. Centennial Park is no exception. Sally Ann Huckstep the former prostitute who spoke out against the notoriously corrupt New South Wales policeman Roger Rogerson was found dead in Busby's Pond. There have been suicides and overdose deaths, and the water reservoirs, as well as the paperbark forest near Lachlan Swamp, have long been known as gay beats. That has always been the case, and um, it was when I started there in 74, and as you said, it still is now, so... The police don't seem to be too concerned about putting an end to it and I suppose it still will be in another 10 or 20 years' time. Mm. Is that, I mean, it's part of a park's culture in a way, do you think? I suppose, in a, if you'd like to look upon it that way, yes, you, you could say so, yes. <laughs> and it upsets uh, some people and I've had complaints and I've said, well, you go in and speak to the superintendent or speak to the director about it. But as I said, it was going on in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and it's still going on in, in year 2000, so it's just something you've got to accept. Oh, the park after dark is fantastic. It's just fantastic. As you get towards dark, it's also really beautiful. A lot of the trees in the park are really sculptural. There's lots of Norfolk Island pines and Cook pines. Yeah, they just make these incredible silhouettes. It's just stunning. But then after dark, it gets this um, kind of... Yeah, I guess there's a slightly dangerous quality that comes with it that's really just a bit of an edge of danger after dark and there's hardly anyone here and it suddenly feels like a really big space with no one in it. There'll often be just um, a lone cyclist and some of them will have a flashing light but others won't. You'll just hear this... <laughs> of those wheels going past. It's just unreal. You, you really feel like you're alone. Do, mean, do you feel at risk? No... The only time I felt at risk in the park is a few years ago there was a rapist who, who was actually generally um, around this bit where we are now who attacked lone women jogging between 6 and 7 in the morning which was exactly what I was and I had these sort of elaborate ways that I was going to deal with it each time. I'd be on my guard and I'd have two keys between my knuckles ready to go and I'd keep my dog close you know, and she's this tiny little terrier but I'd think she'll go him and, <laughs> and apparently there was um, undercover police women jog jogging as well too um, and I could never work out which ones you know because there aren't many people around here and I went through stages of thinking I would really would be sensible just not to jog through this bit in that time but um it's just so special and that feeling of not wanting to be dictated to by that sort of fear. No one's holding a gun at your head to enter the premises but once you do I, I think you, you just got to abide by the rules. I, I know I know where Sally Ann was killed here and I knew of the Sally Ann Huckstep story. In my older days I used to work on 
on the door, up at the cross and stuff, so I knew of certain people and uh, it was just a very, very sad thing. And when I actually go past the spot, you know, a lot of times once I'm really concentrating on speed and that, you know, it, it makes me feel very, very sad looking over at that, that pond, you know, the duck ponds where, uh, where Sally was, yeah, was, uh, was murdered. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty harrowing stuff. The park has its down-and-out characters, you know, I mean, people from the very bottom to the very top utilise the park. A lot of people that have got mental problems that are down-and-out are a lot calmer here in the park than they are out in Oxford Street. It's fine. It's clear. You are here. Your homesickness will not last. Your home within us clear path to sweet water. All spirits be spoken for. Adam Aitken. You've been listening to Street Stories on ABC Radio National. Technical production was by Angus Kingston and I'm Gretchen Miller. Do join us at the same time next week and in the meantime, keep listening for the news. I feel a park is an extension of me, of Pretty much, um, I don't know, part of my soul's in there. I've been coming around here for six times a week for two and a half years. <laughs> so I've got a lot of energy out there. I've been pushing around that 3.85 circular tarmac, you know, and um, I put some hard ones in around here. And, and part of this, I knew I had to come to this park, and this park has helped me get to where I am now, Australian Time Trial National Champion. And um, without the park, I wouldn't have had the, uh, the capabilities and the time, and it's, it's just so handy for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm part of the park and the park's part of me, I guess. <laughs>